Hey there. Before I introduce this episode, I want to share an email I received last week. As most of you know, I get a lot of emails, which I usually respond to, but this one was so special, I just need to share. A little background on the brewery, seven-year-old production brewery, 30-barrel brew house with a total capacity of 8,000 barrels. They're only currently producing 3,000 barrels per year over the last three years. Side note, and this was included in the email, this operation can grow in their space to 20,000 barrels of annual production. The brewery is in the middle of a capital race to open multiple brew pubs to help fill capacity. The question was, can I help? Help with what? Under any other circumstance, I would have sent this message straight to the can. But given the fact this brewery has been producing less than 50% capacity 24 months pre-COVID to current on an annualized basis, I was intrigued. I'm not going to bore you with the back and forth, so I will summarize the issues I have here. The issues I see here are twofold. First, we have a quality issue. Yes, quality. This brewery lacks quality, therefore the demand is not there. The result is excess capacity, period. Forget the fact they overbuilt. This is a quality issue. Second issue I have is with the capital raise to open brew pubs. Yeah, I'm not a fan of taking money from investors if I don't have a solid plan. Opening multiple brew pubs is not a plan. And it certainly is not a solution to your capacity issue. What I think we need to do here is get to the root of the problem, which is quality, and fix it. Then we can talk about expansion, yada, yada, yada. All right, let's get to the show. Season 2, Episode 2, Atypical Times. Following the schedule from Season 1, today we are talking about atypical times. LA is arguably one of the most controversial cities affected by the pandemic. While the entire state of California was under partial shutdown, LA County was closed. Closed as in completely closed. On this episode, Jen starts off by giving her perspective of an LA brewery. She shares how they navigated the early shutdown and how they've coped with the total uncertainty of public officials in LA County. Then we bring in our guest, Sten Salier, founder and president of Beltway Brewing Company in Sterling, Virginia. Sten talks about his initial reaction to, to the COVID news and Beltway's early plans for pivoting and protecting customers. All right, let's do it. Every little thing that we can be at, whatever it is, you know, we'll be there. Beers for everyone in society. In my opinion, the world's greatest social uniter. I mean, we had people in tears when they would take their first sip. They hadn't had a proper pint for 20 years, you know. Um, what is going on in L.A. in the first week of December? Yeah, L.A. is in a bad place, Chris. We've got um, our cases are surging as they are worldwide, basically. But we have a very um, proactive, shall I say, health department and um, county board of supervisors who have routinely been making L.A. Uh, live with stricter rules than the entire rest of the state. And um, L.A., as I was mentioning to you earlier, L.A. is a huge county. It's the biggest county in the United States. It's bigger than a lot of states. So I think they feel, you know, the burden of having so many people living here and our numbers are terrible. Um, however, our, our numbers per 100,000 per capita are not terrible. But the overall number, overall numbers are bad. And so they, you know, they make these rules that are really tough on business. So right now, the, there's no, Wait, more out, out, no more outdoor dining. Real quick, before we get to that, uh, the details, uh, are people dying or is it just mass hospitalizations? You know, the deaths are not bad. Um, they're a little bit worse. But in L.A. County, 
uh, in the best of times, like late September, early October, we were getting under 10 deaths per day. And now they're up to like, you know, in the twenties and thirties, but it's not like hundreds. So the deaths are staying pretty low. Okay. Um, I want to hear about the current situation, but before we do that, I want to go back in time and I want you to walk us through where the, what was the first thing you did when you realized the world was shutting down in March? The first thing we did was sort of rearrange the furniture in the tasting room. Um, we literally took out all of the furniture. Uh, we left a few key pieces, like we have some high top tables and we kind of turned those into like a center barrier, like on a freeway and we created traffic lanes so people can come in one door and go out the other door. And we, um, we put some, we just move, move things around to become more of a takeout establishment rather than coming in and ordering and drinking at the bar. Tell, Um, Tell me how you felt when you realized the world was shutting down, did you like spring into action and like mama bear came out or were you like, Oh shit, the world is ending or like describe to me what you were feeling in March. To be honest, um, I probably was um, a little slow to really get the magnitude of it. And I got to give a lot of credit to my, my two kids who are millennials. They're 26 and 24 and um, they really got the gravity of the situation much quicker than I did. And they were really following the news. And they were really the ones to spring into action and say, Mom, we need to do this and we need to do that. And we need to, you know, partition this off and let's put this table here so no one can come in further. And let's get rid of cash uh, Let's stop t- uh, opening tabs. You know, they, they really were the engineers of um, how to have a taste, a safe tasting room. So I got I got to give them a lot of credit. I probably was a little bit more like, you know, more relaxed about it. <laughs> but they were very, um, they were very proactive. Okay. And yeah, they, they jumped, they jumped into action. Yeah. Like a military, like a military operation. <laughs> That's so contradictory to what we've heard about young, younger people and how they've taken the seriousness of this virus. It's, it's shocking to hear that, but also refreshing uh, because mm-hmm. I think it, a lot of the steps that you took early on paved the way for what would happen over the next you know, six months or eight months at your brewery. Um, yeah. But before we get to that, tell us what you did last summer at the brewery. Oh, yeah. Wow. We did something that ended up saving our life. We opened a pizza kitchen. Yes. And um, and this was really because how this came about was we had a neighbor. So we're in this little bank of three identical 5,000 square foot buildings. And we're in this we're in the middle one. And and to one of our, the side, the right side of us was another business. And we really relied on them for their parking lot. They would lend us their parking in the evening. And when they told us that they were um, leaving and their space was going to be available, we knew that we had to take that building just for the parking lot. So um, we did, but the rent was expensive. It added, you know, $7,200 worth of rent. So, Immediately, we were walking in this big warehouse, and Alistair said to me, um, "How are we going to? Um, how are we going to pay for? How are we going to generate income from this side?" And in, like immediately, Pizza Kitchen came out of my mouth. So um, we did it. it. Took us a year, but we got it open, and um, it saved our bacon, as they say. Right, right. So fast forward, LA shuts down in March. They say breweries are closed, but restaurants can do to go. Yes. Yep. Well, and breweries you, were doing to go as well. Breweries could oh, do to go. Breweries right. were never completely shut down. Yeah. Right. They were doing to go and whatever little distribution they could do. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but because well, most of the bars. Restaurants and bars were shut down to go. So there was like literally there weren't like distribution just halted on its own. 
mm-hmm. overnight. Um, I mean, the advantage that we had in that scenario is that like, you know, if it's dinner time and you're going to order, you know, you might as well order from the brewery that has pizza. Mm-hmm. You just get a, You just get a lot more income if you have food, even in a takeout situation, because it's more attractive to go, Oh, you know, I might as well go get dinner and beer as opposed to specifically making a trip to a brewery just to get beer. Mm-hmm. And did you experience like this whole St. Patty's day week, burst of business and then after that it was strong and people were supportive and and it really carried you through the summer or like talk to us about what business looked like and and how many people were showing up to get pizzas and beer and and were customers excited were they like walk us through like some memories yeah so um so Around February, actually, I started noticing the numbers going down a little bit. I pay a lot of attention to my year-over-year sales, and um, they were very consistently going up by a certain percentage over the previous year. But in February, it was the first month where the sales were, you know, was actually declined from the previous year. And that was my first clue that, like, oh, I've been hearing about this coronavirus, and probably people are getting nervous about it. And that's why the numbers are down. And I even, as you know, alerted you to that. Mm -hmm. So by the time we got to March, um, you know, I knew it was coming. And St. Patrick's Day is a huge day for us at the brewery because we are a a British, Scottish, whatever people, you know, they don't, they don't know the difference between Irish and Scottish. So (laughs) Mm -hmm. we have a huge St. Patrick's Day at our brewery. It's huge. Um, You know, we can bring in, you know, where we normally, we bring in double our normal sales on St. Patrick's day. And, um, so by the time it rolled around, as you know, we, we knew things were happening. So we, it wasn't responsible for us to go, Hey, you know, everybody come for St. Patrick's day. So we did a very low key St. Patrick's day, uh, tried to, we just tried to kind of keep it just not, not, not excite people about coming. Like we were open, but we didn't, we didn't do, do a, um, a big push to get everyone down there. And then, and then uh, when we had to shut down, I feel like people were definitely in the mode of like, Oh my gosh, we need to keep buying beer from this local brewery to keep it going. Everybody was kind of in panic mode and feeling like, Oh my God, all our favorite stores are going to go out of business this month. You know, <laughs> So they did a pretty good job. I mean, our sales were down, we're still down about, I would say 40% with the pizza and the beer combined. And with like a huge increase in Grubhub orders, I would say all that together combined, we were down about 40%, which was great considering the breweries that didn't have food, they were down like 80, 90%. Mm-hmm. So that, that went on for a couple of months. And then in June, the end of June, we were able to open for outdoor dining, which was great. Um, and then I felt guilty because the rest of the LA breweries were not able to do that unless they had a kitchen. So that's when our kitchen really came in handy. And then as soon as we opened for outdoor dining, we have, we now have a massive parking lot and we're actually able to seat more people outdoors than we could indoors. And we actually had a great summer. Um, October was by far our best month ever. Um, it was fantastic. So, you know, people really, and, and I felt like we were safe too. Like we really, you know, um, I have a very responsible staff Uh, we all are very, very on board with all of the safety stuff. So, um, I feel like, and I've gotten a lot of comments from customers that they feel safe at our place, that they appreciate all the things we did. We, you know, our seating is far apart. We have hand sanitizer on every table. Everyone's wearing masks. The tables seat no more than six people. Uh, we've, we've taken a lot of steps to make sure people are safe and not co-mingling and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So and, that, and that so, was the story through the summer. Right. And, and if, do we want to, do we want to go, do we want to go there? What, what's currently happening in LA? Cause we're like right in the beginning of 
Yeah. Yeah. So, so we're, we're right back there with to go only and, um, you know, it's rough. It's the holidays. Uh, they announced it right before the Thanksgiving weekend. So, um, sale now are, you know, before when our sales were down 40%, right now our sales are down 80%. So I'm not sure if that's, uh, people are, were away for the Thanksgiving weekend or, I mean, it's going to take a little more time to figure it out. Um, but it's scary because when, when, you know, when it first happened, at least you knew like there that the government was working on, there was a PPP thing that was coming down the pike. There was um, SBA loans coming down the pike. So you had, you know, there was a light at the end of the tunnel, but now it's just like crickets chirping. It's like whatever money you have, good luck to you. You're on your own. There's no help out there for you. Or if there is, it's going to be such a paltry amount that it's not going to be enough to keep anyone in business. So you know, fingers crossed. We have a, we have a really good community. I think that, uh, you know, this crisis, what it really points out is, um, you know, if we're going into a pandemic, you had better have a business model where you're putting out kick-ass beer and kick-ass food and just really, you know, at the top of your game, because if you're just mediocre, if you're just phoning it in, you're dead. You're just dead. You might've been able to make it before, but right now you have to be such a popular place that you have a cult following and people will do anything to keep you in business. That's where we're at. Yeah. I'm, it's so bizarre to me. You've described it a hundred times that it's just LA County, which is a massive County that's shut down. Like the whole state of California mm-hmm. is not shut down. No. And it was decided by a board and it, that determines the fate of, you said 31,000 restaurants. Yes. That is. Insane. I, lo- I look this up too, Chris. Cause I was like, cause you know, I, I love the UK and I'm very UK focused. Yep. So I, I was like, well, I wonder how many pubs are in the entire UK. And it's not that many more. It's like 40 something thousand, I think, or may, you know, it's not so it's essentially if you just shut down all the pubs in the UK it's wow. it's it's mind-boggling 31,000 restaurants someone on twitter was asking uh you know what if we just you know they just really need to they just really need to um, pay these restaurants to stay closed. Like the, the state should just pony up the money to keep the restaurants closed. And so I kind of did the math, you know, like we pretty much average about 35, let's say 35, $40,000 a month, but I used 35,000, a little on the low side for us, but mm-hmm. I figured it was a good average. So um, shoot, where's my calculation now I'm talking about, I don't have the, the calculation handy, but it's, you know, 35,000 times 31,000 restaurants is $1 billion a week Right. that it would take or $1 billion in revenue that is not being earned right now. <laughs> Mind boggling. Yeah. It's, it's insane, right? It's, it's completely insane. Um, my my uh, heart goes out to all the LA uh, establishments now, and and so at the end of the summer, I had a um, I had a small panic myself, saying that you know once this cash runs out, uh, I wasn't even I wasn't even thinking about um, a, a resurge in in cases. I was just thinking numbers, mm-hmm. and I was like, once cash from the PPP runs out, once EIDL runs out which is happening now for most businesses. Um, this is, it, there's going to be struggles, right? It's uh, the road yeah. is going to meet the road and there's going to be a lot of closures. Well, we have that plus we have a surge in cases and it's really a perfect storm. So I've heard there is another yeah. stimulus package coming. It probably will not be until January, but um, yeah, it's, it's insane. Um Talk to me a little bit about how how have you delivered beer during the pandemic, right? So I know you're taproom focused and you're pub focused now, but talk to us about, uh, do you have a canning line? Have you done mobile canning? Has that, how has that process been? 
Uh, yeah, we use a, a great mobile canner. Um, they're fantastic. They come and we do about, um, shoot, how much? Anyway, we, we can a bunch of beer. I can tell you how much. We can about, um, you know, about 10,000 cans every time they come approximately. And, um, they were very flexible. So we definitely upped our game with the canning. We did that. We started canning more frequently. We used to can every like six weeks and we started canning every three weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just kind of pivoted from putting stuff in kegs to putting stuff in cans uh, per your suggestion, which was awesome. We, we um, upped our game in terms of glass door merchandisers. So we have, you know, a lot, four times the refrigeration space and it looks so good and it's impressive and it looks so pretty with all the cans in there. So we've really, when, were really you allowing customers to walk, were you allowing customers to walk up and help themselves to the beer in the yes. merchandisers? Um, yes, I think we've always done that. That I was a little worried about that at first, but it turns, it turns out data wise that that's not really a, um, they're not concerned about that in terms of spreading these days, like touching surfaces is not a a risk really. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, they were just reaching in there and getting their own cans or we're, we're filling a lot of online orders. Like we put all our cans online, and so people can go in and they, and they do a lot. They go on in advance. They pick out all the cans. We put the order together for them, just put it on the table with their name and they just come and get it. Yeah. Um, it's so weird that we did a lot of uh, preaching about the tap room turning into a bottle shop. And I feel that it, when everything opened back up, that message was, it wasn't pushed to the side, but it was people, breweries were so happy to get their tap rooms filled back up with customers drinking on premise. Well, now that all this is happening again, and there, there could be more shutdowns across the country, that bottle shop and online and everything we talked about in May and June is just critical. And I don't think it's yeah. going to end even after the vaccines and the whatever. I don't think yeah. it's going to end. <clears throat> yeah. So I, um, yeah, that that's kind of where that's kind of where I am on on that. I think yeah. um, I agree, and and just to expand on that a little bit because of our kitchen, we can have we can serve guest beers here in California. That's the rule, and so and they've relaxed a lot of the laws in terms of what you can sell off premise. Like you know, our our restaurants are able to do um, cocktails to go and stuff like that. So we've been taking advantage of that and selling other people's beer cans to go like uh, putting together variety packs that feature other breweries. And it's a great way to spread the goodwill, to introduce certain breweries to people who just come to our tap room and just kind of spread the love a little bit, especially with breweries who don't have food and, you know, they really need the extra help and we're able to do that. So that's been fun. Cool. Talk to us about your team. Um, Have you been able to maintain the same team during this whole crisis or um, are you um, just tell, tell us about your team? Cause I know you have an incredible group of people working with you. Um, yeah. I mean, um, you know, I do, we, we're one of those breweries where um, the turnover is pretty darn low. Everybody loves their jobs and they're all, you know, they're all in it. Everybody is very dedicated to the idea of making McLeod a success. So Um, We have had to, you know, we've had periods where the shifts just weren't there um, and people had to stay home. But, you know, I'll tell you a cool story about my team. This is this is a cool story. So one of my bartenders just before the shutdown, uh, it was the last day uh, before the shutdown. And I said, hey, when am I going to see you next? And he said, oh, you're not going to see me for three weeks because um, my wife's business could actually use a little bit of help. And I know that there are people here who don't have um, the access to uh, unemployment that I have. So I'm letting them take all the shifts. You know, it was just like, that's how my team is. They're, they look out for one another. They'll step down if they know someone more needy needs a shift. And that, you know, that was really remarkable. So um, yeah, everyone just, together and does whatever the attitude I, I have to say also about my team 
their attitudes have been amazing this entire time. They never are depressed or grumpy or pissed off. They just come in with just such a can-do attitude and um, they really lift me up because I've been, I struggle sometimes, you know, I feel the weight of it sometimes. Um, but they're just always, they're cheerful selves, just like whatever needs to be done. Sure thing. Yep. We'll do it. No problem. So, um, that's really a joy well, for me. I'm so lucky. I think that, I mean, I think that attitude starts at the top, even though every, I mean, every leader has uh, a, a bad day or two, but if leadership is generally motivating and creative, which you are, um, it, it definitely yeah. bleeds through. So I think it's a testament to your leadership style. Oh, thanks. Well, we're all, we're all in this together for sure. Yeah, totally. All right. Who do you want to give a shout out to today? Um, I, I want to give a shout out. I already kind of did, but my kids, Adrian and Ben, um, they really stepped up when this, when the shit hit the fan and they did an amazing job of taking it seriously, showing, showing all of us like what needed to be done to, um, just make the operation COVID friendly. And, um, I, I just really appreciate what they did. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Jen. It's time to get to our interview with Sten from Beltway. So, Sten, give us some background, some history on Beltway Brewing, please. Yeah. All right. So background on Beltway. Um, I, I knew for a long time that I wanted to um, start my own business and that I wanted that to have something to do with beer. Um, ever since college, I was uh, passionate about um, home brewing and uh, wanted to wanted to quit my job eventually for beer. And um, the, the grand plan of mine, since I, I wasn't independently wealthy, uh, was to um, take my homebrew recipes to a, a local brewery uh, and get them to produce it for me while I, you know, I, I marketed it to local restaurants and, and venues. Um, and then w- would be able to justify to a bank why I needed to, why they should definitely give me a big loan to build a brewery because I was mm-hmm. selling so much beer that was being contract brewed. Um, quickly found out, um, after a lot of, uh, a lot of brewers laughing at me on the other end of the phone that there weren't a lot of people willing to do small batches or even, you know, 10, 20 barrel batches of, of contract brewed beer. Uh, because at, at that time around 2011, um, people were growing so rapidly. No one, no one was willing or interested in, uh, contract brewing those sort of volumes. So I asked why, why is there not a brewery that's dedicated to helping small, small brewers get their start or scale and found out that there really wasn't, there were really large scale breweries that did contract brewing and that was about it. So then I started calling back a lot of the same people. I asked if they would help me, um, called them and and said, well, what if I started a brewery that was dedicated to craft contract brewing? And they all said, do it, please. Uh, either we could help them or we could help them by giving them someone to refer people to that were bothering them. So, um, so that's where, that's where I shifted my business plan to, uh, to this model versus starting my own brands and, uh, and the rest is history. Awesome. So fast forward to today, and I know the topic is atypical times, but I want to get a better sense of what your what your makeup is are you a sole contract brewery or do you have your own brands you also put out yeah we um so since we started we would occasionally usually for to celebrate our anniversary we we would do a brand of our own or a recipe of our own uh just to to have some fun and kind of tout our own skill set um and our own creativity um around uh 2018 um when the kind of when the growth of the market declined, um, we reacted by getting more involved in our own brands since contract brewing was not as in demand. 
Um, and we've been navigating that and figuring that out, um, since then. But, um, yeah, we, at this point, we have a, a pretty wide portfolio of Beltway branded beers and, uh, are distributing throughout Northern Virginia and in DC as well. Awesome. So at the time of this recording, we're roughly, not roughly, we're exactly one year ago from the shutdown. We're one year past the shutdown. Can you take the listeners back to where you were exactly a year ago and kind of what was going through your mind and what's, where were you when you realized the world was shutting down? Uh, I was sitting right here in this room in, in the, in, in the conference room here at Beltway and I was reading an article about um, just the, um, the are not numbers. So the, the, the multiple of um, if one person has COVID, how many people they're likely to infect and was reading a study on that in, in shock of just how contagious this will be relative to um, other past, um, you know, epidemics and, and what a pandemic was learning about that. As I'm reading this in, in shock uh, of where this may be going is when I believe, I think it was March 13th, I got an ESPN alert on my phone that NBA was canceling their season. And those two things happening almost simultaneously for me made my heart sink and realize, oh, this is, this is getting very real. Mm -hmm. What are we going to do? Um, yeah, I remember very clearly just sitting right where I'm sitting now. And um, yeah, and uh, then, then it was immediately a conversation with the rest of our team about how, how we're going to pivot, how we're going to react to this, because um, there, was, there was more to come for sure. Yeah, and, and so do you remember the first steps you took after the meeting with the team? Uh, or did you I talk do. to customers, distributors? Talk, talk us through like what the, what the steps were you guys took, uh, really with the business and then also to keep everyone safe. Yeah, so the, um, the first thing we did, um, you know, I talked to our, our taproom manager because what we, the first thing we wanted to do is watch out for, um, you know, how, how we may be exposing or spreading this amongst uh, patrons and, and our guests um, and made sure that we were up on our, our hand sanitizer supply and that we had cleaning policies posted and, um, and, and explained. Um, and then, then the next thing I had our tapper manager do was get quickly on board with a, um, a platform that we could, do delivery and takeout easily. Um, so that, that was one thing I'm, I'm very proud of what our tapper manager did and, and our move at that time was, uh, I think we were very much ahead of the curve on that, um, uh, getting that set up, knowing that we might likely have to shut down our tap room. So how are we going to keep selling beer? Um, so we did that and got that up quickly and were one of the first breweries in the area um, to be able to quickly, efficiently, um, deliver and, uh, deliver beer to people's homes and have people pick up curbside. Um, we also were one of the first in our area to shut down for on-site consumption when we realized, um, you know, just hand sanitizer and, uh, posting and, and wearing masks at that time, it was not catching on very quickly as quickly as we thought the risk was growing. So we, we were one of the first in the area to close our taproom for on-site consumption. Um, then, um, you know, then I, I remember sending emails out to our uh, state and uh, our local state and even national officials uh, and legislators to, to ask if there was anything we could do as a manufacturing facility to help. Um, already we were seeing a, a shortage in, in hand sanitizer and we knew that we... Um, you know, if that was going to be a major part of prevention, that there was something we could do to help. And uh, so we put that out there as well as learned uh, very quickly how to make hand sanitizer correctly and legally, which uh, is an important distinction because there were a lot of uh, a lot of people winging it um, and still are overseas. But we uh, we got on board with manufacturing hand san sanitizer very quickly. Mm hmm. Cool. Prior to the shutdown, what was your packaging split draft versus uh, package? What did um, that look like? So being that our, our um, brands were still a, a, a 
big time minority of our business. Our client packaging split, I, I would say it was approximately 50-50. We did have, we were pretty heavy on the, on the can product for our clients, being that um, the contract brewing we do for a lot of our clients is uh, supplemental to their production. And um, often cases, what we're brewing is their product for distribution. Um, so we do a lot of canning for our clients. Um, so there are a couple of clients who we do 100% of their production and we're very draft heavy. Um, so those, those clients, we got calls right there in the um, you know, third, fourth week of March saying, hey, Beltway, put everything on hold. Um, the world's shutting down and mm-hmm. we're not going to be able to move this draft. Um, you know, fortunately for our business model, we didn't get stuck with inventory, um, but our clients did uh, in some cases. And um, but they also reacted quickly to put their production on pause, so we didn't overproduce. Yep. And so, did you have your own canning line prior to the pandemic, or did did you mobile can? Or I would I would imagine you you guys did a lot of canning all the time. We did. We were um, we were mobile canning at the time, and it was late spring, early summer of 2020 that we actually got our own canning line on site. Okay, so did the pandemic push you to purchase one, or was it in the works all along? It was already in the works, um, but it was um, a, a huge help. I mean, for for a little while, it it hurt because it, it wasn't, um, you know, it, it when everything got paused we were on pause for almost everything. Um, but it was definitely an asset for it to help us be reactive um, and have that capability in house uh, to um, be able to flow and adapt with a, a changing schedule. Sure. You know, I've mentioned this a lot that the breweries would, that had their own canning line, their own packaging lines, whether it's bottles or cans really were positioned very well during the pandemic because it is a huge it was a huge punch to the gut to say draft is no longer happening all this liquid has to go somewhere so if you had your own packaging line it was really a matter of sourcing the packaging materials making sure you could get a good inflow of that and i remember talking to jen early on in the pandemic when crawlers were all the rave for people that didn't have their own canning lines. And those were a hot black market commodity for a minute. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, kudos to you for having it in the works that I speak to a number of breweries who ironically were receiving a canning line in some part of Q1 of 2020. And it worked out really well for them. Yeah, it, it was it was a very steep learning curve to get that thing dialed in and, and rocking and rolling. Yeah, it was for us, too. Um, you know, we we had some bumps in the road early on and, uh, you know, some some uh, of the first batches we can that didn't meet our QA standards that, that had to get dumped. But, um, you know, we've been dialing it in ever since and, and getting greater and greater efficiency. So it's really nice to have that um, for, you know, the equipment in house, but also that skill uh, with our staff to be able to, uh, to be able to run this line, uh, to be able to have that internally now. Yep. Talk to me about your team throughout COVID. Have you been able to maintain the same team and has everyone stayed safe? Is everyone doing okay? Yeah, so the taproom staff, we were not able to, to fully keep. Um, after the initial surge we got for takeout and delivery in March through mid-May, um, we did not open back up uh, for on-site. Um, no, my bad. Actually, then we, we did in the spring open back up for uh, some on-site consumption out on the patio. Um, but then in late June, we had a, a contact scare where um, a, um, a, a vendor in our tap room told us they tested positive. So there was a bit of a, a panic amongst our staff where we made the call to just close down 
Um, so some of it was out of fear. Some of it was out of an abundance of caution. Um, at that point in July, when we completely shut down the tap room, we opted to stay closed after that point, um, except for takeout and delivery, which meant that we didn't need the, uh, the staffing that, uh, that we had prior to that. So, so that was tough. Um, some, some of it was, uh, you know, bartenders did not feel safe that they wanted to, uh, work in that environment. And then also we didn't have, um, just positions available, uh, under those circumstances. So, so, so that was tough. Um, and another part of that decision to stay takeout and delivery only was because the core of our business is the production brewing. And we wanted, we did not want to invite um, risk into our building that could potentially create an outbreak and shut down our production operation for a time, which would have been, um, which would have been extremely detrimental to the business. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I'm happy to say that um, there has not been any, COVID related, um, production downtime. Um, we've been able to avoid that knock on wood and, um, you know, through our policies and, and, and COVID protocols here, we've, we've done a very good job. Awesome. This is a completely side question. It has nothing to do with atypical times, but since your model is very contract heavy, do you feature your customers beers in your tap room? We do. Um, we, we've done that for a long time. And uh, to be honest, we're actually going away from that a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. We found that um, there, our clients didn't value that as much as you know, I originally um, expected in the early days. The, the intent of our tap room from the beginning was actually to just be a, a host for um, product launch events and um, you know, intro to the market uh, type events. But um, we found with just the continued growth um, from when we opened in 2013 to, to now, the continued growth of uh, local breweries around here, it, I, I think looking back, it confused uh, patrons more than, um, more than, I guess, uh, entertained them. Um, there were a lot of questions about wait, so who made this beer? Wait, you're bringing this beer down from New York? No, no, no. We made the beer here. It's another brand name. But I thought you were Beltway. Yes, but uh, we brew the beer here. And um, it, it became a very confusing thing um, for guests. So um, we are switching now that we have more of our own brands. We're, we're focused in our tap room on Beltway brands. However, we still t- plan to um, feature every month or every quarter uh, some of the partners that we have here and we'll, we'll feature um, several beers that we brew here for our clients and spotlight them and, and tell their story as they're served alongside of the Beltway brands. Cool. I don't know why I, I had to ask that question. I was just curious as to if you, yeah, if you offered those, those beers in the, in the tap room. No, it's a great question. Cause it's been a, um, it's been a, a tough go of it from, from when we opened our tap room, you know, like I said, I think it's ended up um, over the years has, has confused people more than um, look like a, a, a value or a feature. Um, so it, it's been tough for us to navigate. Yeah, I know. I visited Brewhub down in Lakeland a bunch of times, and they have a massive, massive contract facility. And in the, their tap room is equally as massive, but they offer and, and prominently display all of their contract beers in the tap room, in the coolers, in the tap room. And it's just, it's, it's beer for days. You can just all sorts of stuff. And then they also do their own brands as well. So um, it's interesting. Yeah. I have a question for you. When, uh, so you were, did your production slow down a lot? I mean, you're um, making beer for other people. Did they just pivot to cans or did you have a, a big drop off in production or? We What's did for the first month or so uh, because our biggest clients at the time were uh, were um, affected by yeah just a bar and restaurant shutdown uh, as everyone was and there was a, a bit of a wait and see thing going on um, but then what happened in uh, later in the spring was local breweries that had extensive patio space and, and outdoor space 
suddenly got overwhelmed. And then we started um, getting calls from them uh, because they could not keep up with their production. So we got very, very busy in the summer uh, helping some local breweries keep up with with their demand and able to um, yeah, help them serve their guests uh, on their outdoor spaces. So um, yeah, we, after a, a short shutdown, if you will, uh, or slowdown, um, things picked back up dramatically in the summer and, and continued on into the fall. Ah, very good. Yeah. We had here in LA, we, everybody just really took such a huge hit. Yeah. Every brewery I know was really <laughs> down in the dumps, but we don't really have a contract brewer like you in the area. So it's interesting. That'll be phase two for us out there. Phase two will be SoCal. <laughs> yeah, definitely. We could use you for sure. I mean, I personally could. <laughs> Come on down. <laughs> awesome. Sten, what are you seeing 2021 faring out at? Um, we are getting slammed with orders right now. Uh, we're currently, um, all the tank space is booked up, uh, till mid May at this point, we have a few slots available there. Um, but I'm expecting, you know, just like last year around this time, as the outdoor spaces start opening up, uh, the people that have not planned ahead, um, and have not yet, uh, realized that they're not going to keep up with production. Uh, those phone calls are going to start pouring in. Uh, to some extent, they have over the past couple of weeks. We've gotten some new calls or some calls from people that were with us last year that are now realizing, oh, man, uh, how soon can we get uh, get a brew in your tank? Um, so, yeah, we're expecting to be very busy this spring and summer and hopefully on into the fall as uh, things open up, as as there as more indoor dining can happen. Um we expect there to be a big rebound. So we're, we're preparing for that and, and actually already in, in the throes of a, a very busy time right now. Awesome. Tell us about the orders that are coming in, if you can, as far as packaged versus um, draft. Do you see a comeback with draft orders? Yes. Um, and that is while a bit anecdotal. Um, so I'll start with our, with our contracts. Yes. Um, we are seeing a lot of, uh, drafts, uh, increase from our contracts. Um, and then anecdotally with our own brands, which again are young. Um, we have a, a salesperson that started in November and, um, I am absolutely shocked how many draft lines he's getting and how many stories and pre-orders he, he's getting for from local accounts that are are either picking up now or um are, are forecasting or preparing for business to pick up um we've been selling a lot more draft of our own brands than i ever expected so um yeah i, I don't know if that's typical of what else is going on in the industry but at least for us um Yes, draft. We we just had to order 400 more half barrel kegs um, to be ready for it to to fill um, with beer in our tanks right now because of the forecasts we're projecting. That's awesome, man. Yeah, and I think that's a good outlook for everyone that's listening. I can't say a blanket across the whole country, but if you're getting some draft interest, and there's a lot of uncertainty as to what's going to be opening up when uh, i think it's a good indication that this summer may be the start of some sort of normalcy uh, around on-premise consumption is that safe to say uh i yes it is i i that's what we're reading in the tea leaves ourselves yep yeah chris this reminds me of the conversation we had a year ago because sten you were saying that you realized it was going to be a problem uh you know in march um I was having conversations with Chris in February because our sales were I were a little bit down from the year before or the month before and it was very unusual because we were you know increasing 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 and I started hearing little stories about covid and I was like Chris I think I think this is I think people are nervous and um you know, I see this in the sales and sure enough. So I think like alcohol sales are definitely like the canary in the coal mine. Like you can 
kind of see a little bit into the future with people's drinking habits, I guess. <laughs> so it's a good industry to watch for an indicator of what's happening. Yeah. I tend to agree. Very good, guys. Well, hey, Stan, I appreciate you joining us today on the True Craft Podcast. It was very interesting to hear from the perspective of a contract brewer who's also doing his own brands as to what the last year has been like. I think it's been very useful for all the listeners. Well, good, good. Um, yeah, I'm happy to do it. This has been a lot of fun and uh, great to meet you, Jen. Um, yeah, likewise. Yeah, definitely want to give a, a shout out uh, to to Small Batch Standard for for helping us navigate this because man, it has been tough from a cash flow perspective um, and and just feeling our way through this. So, you know, helping us navigate this financially, um, you know, by by forecasting, predicting, planning ahead, and then and helping us secure um, our PPP and, and working on tax credits uh, have absolutely been a lifesaver. So. Um, want to give some thanks to PP or to small batch and uh, and all our vendors that have been patient with us and flexible with us through all this oh our pleasure man it's been uh it's been a, it's definitely been a challenging year but we we've we really viewed it as an opportunity to help over and above the the typical day-to-day stuff that we do and and our team really came together and was um was honored to help everyone that we work with. So it was, it was fun. It, it was not always fun, but it was, it was definitely <laughs> up. We were up for the challenge. Yeah. Well, we're, we're grateful and, uh, and things are, things are turning the corner for us. So we're very optimistic about 2021. Awesome guys. Well, y'all both have a great day and we'll talk to you soon. All Thanks, right. Chris, you too. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the true craft podcast. Links to cool information about our guests and other fun facts can be found in the show notes. This podcast is sponsored by Small Batch Standard. Small Batch Standard is the premier financial agency built to serve the craft brewing industry. We help craft breweries grow profits through outsourced accounting, tax planning and filing, and growth consulting. Visit sbstandard.com today to learn more and request a discovery call. See ya!